Welcome to the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Dan Riley of Concentric, longtime friend and colleague. And when I say longtime friend and colleague, I, I say that quite often, but you certainly qualify. How long has it been, Dan? Probably close to 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 18, 18, 20 years. I had a full set of hair when we first met. <laughs> so. And you've had quite a journey. I mean, I'll ask you to introduce yourself in a second, but I will say for those who are listening, I mean, from music to movie making to employee engagement to, you know, world travel, I mean, you have had a colorful life, shall we say, and you've had a very strong commitment to creativity and empathy and, you know, just really looking out for the human experience. So if you would introduce yourself a bit and share a little bit about Concentric as well, if you would. Yeah, thanks, Al. And I really appreciate big fan of your podcast and really a big fan of what you've been doing and building community over the past, you know, 10 plus years. It's so important. So quick history about me. I um, kind of came into the HR talent, people analytics space. I hate to say it, but a little bit by accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of the best things in life happen like that. Sure. Yeah, I went to school, studied politics and you know international relations, and then spent the first 10 years of my life playing music and just doing temporary work. I was a Kelly Temp of the Month. So that was my big Congratulations. first. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, that was nice. <laughs> they brought flowers to my cube. You know, I was very lucky. I got to work in many, many, many different organizations to support my love, my art of music in my 20s. And then I finally landed at a really cool opportunity at United Health Group, and I uh, got to work directly with their VP of HR and immediately fell in love with the space of, at that point, it was, I think we weren't even saying the word engagement. It was employee satisfaction. I hate to age myself. But I started working very closely in that space and really that connection between technology, which was always an area that I loved. Started programming when I was 10 years old. My dad brought home the very first PC. He worked at IBM. And so working in understanding technology and people and how it can support and empower and inspire you know, every individual showing up to work. So I really, this combination of how can we leverage technology, but not overdo it, right? Leverage the power of people and teams and really create inspirational workplaces. So at a very young age, I was really lucky and really fortunate given some cool opportunities. And then I guess they say the rest is history, but still making some history, not, <laughs> not, not over the hill yet. All right. Well, yeah, hopefully that's the case for both of us. Um, and I believe it is. And so here we are towards the end of April 2020. COVID-19 is a global health crisis. We're all you know, aware of that. So the idea of creativity, empathy, honoring the human experience, given that people are working from home, they're stressed, you know, worried about money and, and food and, of course, the future in most cases. So my question to you, you and I talked before getting on the air today around this notion of radical creative leadership or creative radical leadership. You helped me on that. <laughs> but the need to be more agile, to really bring empathy to life. So can you share your thoughts and ideas on that? Sure. So a couple of things, I mean, over as we all have over the past few weeks, months, I think we've all been really reflecting a lot on just probably personal reflection on what we do, what we've done, what we want to still do. And, you know, reflection with people we work with and teams that we work with. I think we've all probably been having more intimate conversations with with people and our teams and really getting to know what makes people tick. So it, it really started making me think about, you know, what's one of the key ingredients that allows us to manage through crisis like this? And to me, it really is a sense of empathy and a sense of empowering a team to kind of stand on their own and fend for themselves 
but also directing them and giving them hope and, and giving them incredible support along the way. And to me, that is kind of what I mean when I say radical leadership and creative leadership, right? It is the idea of hierarchy and the idea of micromanaging through a time of crisis is, would be absurd, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the best leaders are, are those who are comfortable, right, using the word we more often than the word I. And it takes, I think, you know, a lot of humility. And you also need to understand that leaders right now have to be comfortable with the fact that they don't know everything. Mm. Right. So a lot of coaching that I, that I give leaders right now is it's OK to say, I don't know. Right? Yeah. It's OK to tell your team, I'm not sure what we should do next, or what the next step is. These are times we've never lived through. Once you do that, I think you actually build a, a better sense of trust amongst mm. that team. And it is to me, that's a little bit radical and a little bit creative. And, and you know, to me, that's been on my mind and something that I've really been thinking about. As you're sharing that, the uh, and I'm going to mispronounce her name, and I've done so, and that's my own fixed mindset, so shame on me, is Breen Brown, The Power of Vulnerability. And yeah, understanding that we're all struggling and we all have some learning to do, because if we do a cookie cutter approach, right, it's not going to hit the mark. So this kind of leads into a pointed question. If somebody's working from home, which we're all are in one form or another, if we're still fortunate enough to be working, we're at different life stages. And we might have a young family, and then we might have multiple kids, or we might have aging parents. And so tell me your ideas and perspectives on really honoring these distinctions within the workforce, because no longer is it, okay, just tenure or just you know, location or some demographics that we've had historically. We have to remain, correct me if I'm wrong, more curious about what their actual day-to-day experience is like. Can you speak to what you're seeing and how you're advising leaders to yeah. address that? Yeah, I love that question. So let me start with an example or something I've been doing the past couple of weeks. So we've been bringing one industry that's obviously been hit very hard and has a very diverse workforce is hospitality, mm-hmm. right? Um, you have to think about all, so many different types of roles, whether it's at the corporate level or it's in the front lines. And, and some folks, many folks at hospitality are still having to show up and go to work, right? So you actually have differences between an organization that can't just make a blanket work from home policy, right? Hospitality has to say, well, this team still can work from home, but this team still needs to go in. So you layer that on top of everyone's unique life differences and a type of work that they're doing. And like you said, maybe have three kids living with larger families. You know, there's a lot of complexity to that. So we've been bringing together leaders across hospitality organizations and just doing roundtable sessions. And what we do is, honestly, right, sometimes the best thing you can do is just listen, right? My goal is not necessarily to provide a strategy. It's just, just to provide an ear and really understand the challenges that these organizations are going through from an HR perspective. And let me just say, I mean, HR in the corporate world right now are heroes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what HR is doing and what they have to do and as far as managing their people and managing you know everything that you just asked in your question, it's mind-boggling and there's no perfect way forward. But I can tell you the one theme that we hear over and over and over again is just this sense of connection and family and transparency. Those are the key words. And connection is probably the most important thing that brings everybody together, whether, again, they're working at home with eight people, three kids, five dogs. Um, Organizations that had town halls every quarter are now doing it every two weeks, yeah. right? Organizations that had one-on-ones maybe every month, if you're lucky, are doing it 
multiple times a week in some cases. Mm-hmm. Team meetings are, are happening 4x more often in a month's time span. And this, this alone is actually increasing engagement. Mm-hmm. This is increasing the intense feeling of wanting to be a part of a family. And so, which is really interesting to me too. So I think we can learn a lot from these moments of what can we take forward into the new normal and how we treated each other, how we worked together, how we collaborated, how we built trust and transparency. So I'm an optimist. I'm a self-proclaimed optimist. (laughs) And I do believe we're going to learn quite a bit from this. We're going to be able to take pieces of this and apply it in that new normal that we're all responsible for creating. Yeah, again, you know, I want to take that 18 different directions, but I have to choose one. And this is it. Because we talk about this notion of empathy at scale, empathy in action, because, hey, leader, go be empathetic. What does that look like when you're responsible for hundreds of people and, to your point, have a diverse array of needs? So it would be very callous, correct me if I'm wrong, to just say, okay, here are the survey results. Therefore, I'm going to you know do X, and everyone's going to you know have a smile on their face. So what I'm hearing is the frequency of the connection is important, and you mentioned the one-on-ones and so forth. Can you speak yeah. to from a leadership position? You know, what shifts are you observing, and what shifts do you think still need to be made, or maybe made habitual as we move forward in the months and potentially years ahead? Yeah. So. When we think about employee experience, you know, we, as it's been overdefined, I'd say over the past year or two, but ultimately, and I'll start with this definition and then I'll tie this back into your question. Employee experience is, in simple terms, it means putting people first. People mm-hmm. are at the center of everything you do, period, mic drop, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. And so, with that, we've learned over the years, and it's obvious that employee experience is made up of getting a lot of moments right consistently over and over and over again, right? It isn't implementing one or two sweeping changes and saying, ready to go. We've done what we needed to do. Empathy installed, right? (laughs) Empathy is not an implementation. Empathy is not a product, right? Empathy is the way you live and the way you treat people on a regular day-to-day basis. So that's why employee experience and thinking about it more in these moments that matter and everybody has moments that resonate with them and things that are important to them. So it's the responsibility of leaders to build better bonds and to listen more often. But I want to be clear, I I don't mean just repetitive listening, just because we have the technology now or we have the ability to gather more data more often. And you know this better than anybody, not all data are created equal, right? right? And what I mean by that is you want to be really specific when you ask something, the type of data that you're looking at, you want it to be intentional and focused and you want it to be helpful, right, as far as making decisions. So I think really the leaders as we head into 2020, you know, empathy, again, is not defined by what you learn from a survey, but it's defined by building greater bonds with your people, listening more. And again, to a point I said earlier, sometimes it's just saying, I hear you, right? And it's just being open and not always having all of the answers. And I think this is one of the fundamentals of empathy. And I think to me that that's one thing that leaders are going to have to continue to, to work on. And again, there's not a training class for that. I think you just need to open your mind and hopefully have great people around you too from a team that can help support you. Um, and what I'm hearing in that is practice. And when you talk about heightened levels of frequency of these conversations, you're now practicing, you're working that muscle. And some of those interactions might 
get to a place that, you know, the, it's not even the elephant in the room because it's the elephant stampeding, you know, down the street and that people are getting furloughed or getting laid off. There's, you know, again, great anxiety. So this empathy could just be having these tough discussions in a very compassionate, morally astute yeah. way. So can you speak to that and what you're saying? Yeah. Well, so that's a tough one. So I'm, I've been asked and working with a few organizations that are, that are going through and ha- having to furlough some employees. And questions that were asked is, how do we keep connected and be empathetic? So in four months, five months, whatever it might be, when it comes time to hopefully bring the family back together, how can we do this? Mm-hmm. And again, the biggest thing is finding ways to stay connected. I've actually, a couple leaders that I've talked to, one in particular, it was inspiring to hear. This leader said that they are still having one-on-ones with, there was a handful of their employees that were furloughed. And this person is still having one-on-ones every week with all of them up until the time when hopefully they can bring them back. You know, and again, there's no guarantee, right? This is a a line leader. This isn't someone who's making the final decisions, but that is empathy. That is caring. And that's relationship. That's family. So when it comes time, the employees won't feel like they've been in a coma for four months. They're still connected, right? right? You see, they're helping keep that connection. And again, as we know, what drives people really drives people is being connected to a company's purpose and a why and a vision, right? People want to make an impact. People want to feel like they're part of something special, something that's truly making a change. And so if you're going through an unfortunate furlough of employees, anything you can do to keep that connection, to keep that lifeblood still flowing, you know, and it takes leadership. It's not going to happen automatically. It's not going to happen by a policy. It's going to happen by getting on the phone, having a conversation, yeah. And, and having a conversation. I love text message, but man, we got to get back to also having conversations and talking on the phone. Yeah, I absolutely hear you. And I couldn't agree more. And that's uh, one thing that I'm talking with our kids about is, you know, yeah. since we're staring at these glowing rectangles all the time, you know, maintaining human connection, hearing voices, seeing them to the extent possible. And I think the same thing goes for workers. It gets tougher at scale, right? And this is where I want to celebrate your background. And again, knowing you over the years, you've always come in, at least from my perspective, with a beginner's mindset. And you also have, you have your ideas, but you have some very basic fundamental questions around, hey, you are showing up in this way. You want to be this type of culture. Why don't you ask some questions towards that end? And meanwhile, there's others to say, well, we have this normative database and we have to be asking these questions. So my pointed question to you is, I would imagine the questions that leaders are asking through surveys or through town hall type forums, you know, all company meetings, those, if they are number one, asked in a very thoughtful, compassionate way, in turn, action is taken on the insights that come back. I imagine those are the ones who are garnering higher levels of trust and potentially will likely be more resilient coming through this you know, crisis. Again, I made an assertion there, but do you believe that to be true, asking appropriate questions and responding appropriately? Absolutely. So at Concentric, we did create a COVID-19 survey that we've been running for free for all of our clients. And we went through this thought process. And this was, for us, it was a, we really had had to rethink. The last thing we wanted to do is go back to core questions that are still scientifically valid and have benchmarks linked with them and ask them. Because you by doing that, I think you lose the sense that you're truly caring about the, the moment and the crisis that, that's happening. 
And so I think it's a little tone deaf, right? If you mm-hmm. just go back to the core questions that we've been all asked, would you recommend, do you believe your leader, you know, your, your, yeah. your leader's managing towards the future, blah, blah, blah. So we really wanted to rethink questions that, and work with the organizations to create questions that resonated with the change that they're faced with. Like you said, it's very difficult to build, you know, empathy at scale and it does take, but I will say it takes, you know, leaders of leaders of leaders of leaders. I mean, great culture is defined by everybody, you know, spending an extra 10 minutes having conversations by everyone just saying, can I help? Can I do this? Um, being helpful is one of the most basic common words we all understand. And being helpful is what creates extraordinary culture. So survey gives you specific data and going through a crisis like this, you really want to ask questions that resonate with employees. I mean, just think about if you're asked five questions and you have a lot in your mind, right? You want those questions to, just by the fact of reading them, you want them to resonate with what you know, stuff that's on your mind, stuff that you're thinking about. If yeah. it feels like a question that 20,000 other people are being asked in a generic fashion, you're not going to care and you're probably not going to even completed at that point. Yes. So what we're saying assumes that there is a survey process in place, that there's a survey tool slash platform in place, that there's an audience to take action on the insight. So I'm writing about this now, and we'll be talking about it next week at the Pafau Europe online conference, is that some people, Alex functions, which I would throw surveys in for this discussion, is they're actually never more prominent than they are right now. And in other cases, they've just kind of slid off because they're not deemed mission critical. There's maybe not an awareness. Maybe there's not of their capability. They might not have the capacity to deliver what leaders want. So going back to you, what are you seeing among those leaders who are getting the insight that they need to make good decisions. What are some of the common attributes among their people analytics teams or, or survey teams yeah. or whatever you want to classify it as? Yeah, the number one theme, and number one attribute I'd say is transparency. We don't have time when, when you're living through and managing through a crisis like this, we don't have time to massage the findings to storytell in particular, maybe the way that you want to tell a story. Yeah. Right? You should never do that, obviously. Data should speak for itself and should represent the truth. But right now, speed to just quickly getting insights and sharing them and on trying to understand them together with your team. Because again, this ties back to this idea that leaders and organizations don't have all the answers right now, nor should mm-hmm. they. Nobody does, right? I mean, we don't know if we're going to be as a country for two months away from being some sense of being normal again, or if it's 12 months. And so organizations are just bracing themselves for a very unknown ride. And so I think those leaders who leverage data and thoughtful data very quickly and open and transparent and working with teams to really make sense of it. And keeping a real open mind, you know, we've used the word agile. We've all in the industry thrown around the word agile on a regular basis. It has never had more meaning than it has now. (laughs) If anyone wondered what agility meant, look in the mirror now, because this is what it's all about. Yeah. Well, that goes back to radical creative leadership. Just to summarize your last point, what I hear of those who are actually taking appropriate action, and of course, you're providing one of these platforms, I imagine, you know, you see teams that have that transparency, uh, leadership teams that is that have that transparency built on yeah. because they've socialized with the use of that tool and the survey instrument and, and action planning process and all that over time. 
again, I'm concerned about those who don't because a lot of them are guessing and you know potentially flying you know blind. So I get a lot of you know concern about that. So with that as a, a stage, going back to a the notion of radical creative leadership. Once you get the insights, however imperfect they are, the creativity necessary to respond appropriately is, again, correct me if I'm wrong, never been more important or a critical attribute because, oh, I've been doing this for 30 years. Does it really apply? Certainly not with the weight that it did. So can you speak to some of your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I would start off by saying that as leaders, we don't want to think like this, but the playbook that you might've relied on for 20, 20 years or 10 years or 30 years probably should just put in your, in your cupboard for for now. (laughs) And and what I mean by that is, you know, now is the time to open up to ideation across your team, across those you work with. I mean, the best thing you can do is listen. And, you know, again, the power of many working together, as we know, is how true change happens. And that's how true transformation happens. So, I mean, to me, it's that simple. The power of being human and the power of human connection and collaboration and working together with, right, with the fuel of focused, intentional data that really helps you guide your decision-making process is what organizations need to do. It's not easy, but I think it's just necessary. And so teams have to work in that capacity. So, you know, to me, that's the biggest change that, you know, leaders and really organizations need to think about now is truly, you know, I don't care if collaboration is one of your core values. Now you got to live it, right? You know, a lot of organizations and, you know, not just, these are common words and we throw them around lightly sometimes. And again, with perfect intentions and, and awesome intentions, but now is the time we have to live them. And so being empathetic, building transparency, being open to different ideas, different approaches. Um, in our organization, some of our best ideas now are, are coming from our Zoom meetings that we're having and listening and just how's it going. And we have teams all around the globe. So it's really fascinating, right? I was talking about the COVID-19 curve and where they are personally with their families, with their friends, where they are personally as a country or a city, and then how that applies to the work that they're doing within the larger organization. We're all on these different change curves and we're all on these different COVID-19 curves. And so it's just keeping an open mind and really being aware of that. Yeah. I love what you're saying. And if I'm empathizing with our listeners, so if I am a people analyst, I have a psychologist, a data scientist, or a people leader, you know, head of talent or you know, CHRO, someone like that, you know, I'm in the situation where I am being asked for answers or insights rather. And I myself have a lot of anxiety and uncertainty. So speak to, if you would, this need to uproot from certainty and get into more probabilistic decision-making and scenario planning and getting comfortable with that. Because again, it's been my experience in this discipline, there's been such a high appetite. Well, if we do this, what's going to be the outcome? And we don't know. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. You know, The external environment is not static aka predictable, the internal environment is not, you know, static, nor is it predictable. So how are you coaching your clients to deal with all this ambiguity and uncertainty? Yeah, I mean, it's funny, if you at the highest level, and at least in our country, if if you watch the the daily briefings, and you look at leadership of I don't. (laughs) Yeah, no, but I mean, but if one were to watch those, you would realize, wow, we are 
changing our minds every day, right? I mean, so even at that level, the uncertainty and the differences of opinion, it's mind-blowing. And actually just watching that is fascinating. On one hand, it's interesting because you just see real-time decision-making for an entire country just happening literally on the spot. Mm-hmm. And I know there's some dynamics there based on our current administration and how they process information, but and we, I don't want to go too, uh, I don't want to go political with this. <laughs> no, no. Just gonna, I hear you. Uh, At the same time, uh, it's a good example. It's so, a good example. Yeah. maybe of, I don't want to say if what uh, not to do or what to do, you can use your own judgment on, <laughs> on that. Right. But if you apply that to organization decision-making now, yeah, I mean, you have to, again, I'm going to go back to my statement around being comfortable, not knowing what the answer is. And I think the only way you can do that is, again, that the old saying is you have to try things and fail fast and quickly move on. And that holds a lot of weight now, too. So I think if you're gathering data, I mean, if that's something you as an organization are doing, so you're still collecting some level of data, whether it be qualitative, whether it be quantitative, whether it be some com- some combination, whether you're just getting overall perceptions and through regular conversations and compiling that in some fashion. I think it's absorbing all of that and then making the best decision that you know based on what you feel is right and what your team feels is right, implementing that. And again, this is not an action planning exercise of we're going to implement these three things and check in in three months. You're going to be checking in in potentially three hours, right? Yeah, right. So I think it's a commitment to being willing to quickly absorb information, absorb ideas, change, move forward, and you know, be willing to change again along the way. I mean, this is the best thing organizations can do. And it truly is just an exercise in agility and being resilient. And you need, the way you're resilient is that you're prepared to absorb impact, right? And quickly move on from it. I mean, that's kind of the way I think of, of being resilient. So again, these are- So what I'm hearing is that we're riffing and we have yes. a long jazz set and we don't know how long that jazz set is going to be. <laughs> and we're playing with other musicians. So we have to listen, do call and response and do our best. Is that a I, fair summary? Yeah, I love it. I, I think, you know, you may have given me an analogy. I might have to steal that one from you. No, I honestly, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a really great example. It, but the key thing that what you said there and that we've talked about through this conversation is the willingness and the ability to listen very, very carefully. And I love that definition because truly, yeah, when you think of, you know, great jazz musicians playing, if you're feeling it, you kind of, you continue, you go and the rest of everyone is supporting you while you're doing your thing. But it's all revolves around sort of a consistent uh, framework of, of understanding where we're going with this piece, with this song, you know, and so you're not, you never go too far off into, into left field and you kind of keep each other and check and you, through eye contact, in this case, through video contact and quickly checking in. I mean, jazz musicians are, are always listening to each other. They're always looking at each other. They're always looking for cues and they get to know each other. So I get to know if you're, you're playing sax, I hear when you're coming to an end, I recognize what you're doing, that final moment. All right, it's time to transition to the drummer solo. So I think it's truly learning how to connect as a team. I mean, this is more important than it's ever been. And, you know, I wish that there was a more perfect answer of, of do here's three steps and, and how to manage through the COVID-19 crisis. There is not. You know, the three steps are being transparent and open and, you know, being willing to listen. And number two, being transparent and open and being willing to listen. And number three, the same. <laughs> you know, you need to do all those things over and over and over again. Again, back to those moments that matter. Right now, the moments that matter are amplified more than they've ever been for employees from fear to concern, to worrying, and now that fear of, of 
family and loved ones. And in many cases, there's their parents might be sick or, or they know someone that's sick. So there's just so much going on in everyone's minds and, and heads and uh, just their emotional well-being right now. That is so important. So safety and well-being, you just have to pay attention to these things. I love what you're saying. And what I'm hearing is that growth mindset. And I think Carol Dweck's yeah. growth mindset and you know, willingness and capacity to learn and in turn take action on that learning. And also the fact that you know, we've talked about these buzzwords like employee experience and engagement and listening, and you're bringing that down maybe not only one level, but several levels says like, you know, this is just having conversation and really empathizing and staying in curiosity and compassion. So I love it. And I will also add that it seems that I struck a chord with that jazz example. So, and sorry about the pun with the chord thing. I just had it. That's horrible. Uh, That's good. (laughs) Well, I I think that's a nice way to think about it. But the thing is the business that I've, I've been in, you know, for the past 20 years, which is obviously, you know, culture and engagement and continuous listening and dialogue and, you know, just giving a voice to employees. It's always been about people. It's always been about that connection, conversation, everything you do. Again, you don't do a survey to do a survey. You don't capture data to capture data. You use that to actually make fundamental change and have conversations that drive change forward, right? That's the outcome. All this other stuff is just the fuel that feeds ultimately human conversation and connection doing incredible and awesome things together. You know, I mean, incredible data, you know, speaking and working together, giving you insights and guidance. If you were just to stop there, nothing's done, right? It takes people and human beings to connect and actually do something about it based on what they're learning in a proactive way. So I really think this moment in time is just a reminder of the importance of that. And the work that we've all been doing for many years, it's always been important, but now it's just... For better or for worse, it's certainly for better, an incredible reminder of why we do what we do. And again, back to my point around HR, I mean, and those working with people in data, data analytics, I mean, these, these are heroes right now in organizations. <laughs> if yeah. their work was ever, ever, ever looked at as sort of secondary or sort of discretionary, man, that's a mistake. And at least if one thing comes from this, we all know the, the importance of keeping your people pumped and listening to your people and consuming data and making sure that works together in concert to make fundamental transformational change and provide yeah. safety and inspiration for employees is, is key. After all, that's what an organization is, right? It's you yeah. know, a group of it's people trying to get some things people done. Doing, doing yeah. awesome things. Well, Dan, always a pleasure talking with you. Learn something every time and you know, your energy and ideas are you know, super valued. Yes, it has been a long time. It's been a wonderful journey. Thanks for sharing. And how can people get in touch with you and learn more about Concentric? Yeah. Well, the best way is I'm available on LinkedIn. So if you search for Dan Riley and Concentric, I will pop up. And I think we're going to, we'll also probably be a link somewhere where you can connect with me. So yeah, I'm always available. I love learning. I love having great debate and conversation and dialogue about this topic. So looking forward to to next week. And that's good. It's going to be a really exciting, exciting virtual, incredible conference and looking forward to well, talk uh, about connections. At least yes, we're, trying, we're, we're, connection. we're giving her to go. Dan, thank you for that jazz reference. <laughs> I try. <laughs> I try. All right, Dan, great seeing you again. Super yeah, appreciate great seeing you. you. All right, you be well. Thank you. You too. See ya. Take care. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.